Day, dads. Did you ever notice that Father's Day and Mother's Day are a little bit different? Right? The level of gifts is a little bit different. The emphasis is a little different. I think in uh, retail, Mother's Day beats Father's Day by like a thousand percent. I'm pretty sure it's something like that. But we honor you fathers. I love what Liz said in her prayer uh, when she said, Happy Father's Day to our Father in Heaven. We want to we honor you guys. Yeah, that's awesome. We want to honor you guys, but we're here today to worship our Heavenly Father, who was the greatest example of a father. I had somebody... Uh, I was talking to a family one time who was going through some stuff with their kids. And I'm going to promise you something. If you're a parent, you have or will grow through stuff with your kids. Somebody say amen if you're with me, all right? And we, we understand that. And uh, uh, we, we were, there was three of us talking together. And this, this one gentleman, uh, we were trying to console a, a friend of ours whose, whose kids were just going through some stuff. And... You know, and then you look at what kind of a parent am I? You kind of go through that whole thing of, you know, where could have I been a better dad? Or been a and I'm going to tell you something. The way that you become a better father is when you're a grandfather someday and you can make up for all the mistakes you made in fatherhood. That's the best, okay? But um, this one gentleman said to our friend, he said, listen, our Heavenly Father was perfect. And his kids messed up. You know, so don't be so hard on yourself. You just do right today. And I thought that was really strong because, you know, God who created perfect human beings uh, and was the perfect father, his kids struggle and continue to struggle today. And I'm one of those kids. I'm a struggling kid. Anybody else like that today? Right? You with me? Hey, if you have a Bible, I want to invite your attention to Luke chapter 17. Uh, love the series that we've been studying, Forgotten Virtues. And I think this, uh, this the message I want to talk to you today is about gratitude, and uh, we're going to talk about how gratitude uh, can be forgotten sometimes. And I think in our culture uh, today, we live in, in, in such a time uh, of entitlement where people kind of know their rights and, and talk about their rights more than they accept their responsibilities. Is that, is that fair to say? And I'm not saying that about young people. I'm not saying that about teenagers and kids. I'm just, I'm just making a, an observation, really, not just the United States, but in our world today, where it just seems like we want what's coming to us more than we want to take care of what we're responsible for. And there's a great story here out of Luke chapter 17, where uh, Jesus experienced this firsthand with some people that had a very specific need. So I'm going to read for you verse 11 down through verse number 18. It says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So he was between his homeland and really the land of his enemies, uh, or, or his countrymen's enemies. And it says in verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance and called out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. That's pretty, there's, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, dynamics just in those first couple uh, phrases in that story that when Jesus went into a town he was met by some guys with leprosy but they stood off from a distance. Now leprosy we understand in the Bible is, 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 uh, is a disease that was really a death sentence. And, but it was also a type for sin when the Bible talks about types or, or, or parallel truths, a lot of times leprosy is, is, is parallel with the truth of, of, of what sin is. It's it, it's, it makes you dirty, broken, 
you know, sin does what it does, it destroys, it just, you know, it, it, it eats us up. And leprosy was like this. It was a skin disease. It literally, literally made your, your, your skin deteriorate to the point where you would lose members, you would lose fingers, and you would lose toes, and eventually, you know, full, you know arms and some stuff like that. And leprosy had some very specific instructions on how you would uh, handle yourself if you would ever have leprosy in the community. You had to say a certain distance away from other healthy people because leprosy was uh, very easily transmitted through the air, through touch, uh, through sharing, drinking, you know, utensils and things like that. And, and the Bible teaches us in the book of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers that there was very specific ways to handle people with leprosy. How far you had to stay away from them. If you were to go into a crowd of people and you had leprosy, you had to announce yourself. Unclean, I'm unclean, don't come near me. And you would be put to death if you didn't do so. Like if people found out you had leprosy, but you were in the middle of a big crowd, you didn't tell people you had leprosy, they could take you out. You could literally uh, have a death sentence put upon you because you broke the law. There was also ways of that the, the Old Testament gave instructions on if you were ever healed of leprosy, what was your follow-up for being healed to leprosy? You had to go out of the town for about a week, you had to wash, you know, a, a, a multiple number of times, just all kind of different things that, that came with this very uh, known disease throughout Scripture. And these ten guys did what they were supposed to do. Now, they saw Jesus, they now, hey, Jesus, we're over here, we have leprosy. The Bible says that they stood at the right distance apart. They, they were doing what they were supposed to do. But they called out to the master. They said, Jesus, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go yourselves to the priest. And as they went, as soon as Jesus said, okay, guys, I got you. Now go see the priest right now. And the Bible says, as soon as they started to make that, maybe that gesture towards walking towards the temple, wherever the priests were hanging out, the Bible says that they were cleansed. And they would notice that right away. They would notice that right away. Uh, we had some uh, kids this week from our Spanish community, our Spanish ministry that went to camp. Uh, one of the days that they were at camp, and it happened to be the day that me and Pastor Frank uh, went and visited them, the electricity went out. And uh, they were like in day, day three, day four of camp. And there's some things that happened in the lives of teenagers the third and fourth day of camp. Uh, to quote a verse out of John chapter 11, talking about the resurrection of Lazarus, when teenagers are camped for three to four days, they stinketh. <laughs> they stinketh. When we used to take our kids to camp, uh, and it really wasn't high school kids because they would want to get all slicked up at night, get their cologne on, and kind of get their little, you know, hanging out. It was junior high kids, especially the junior camp kids. We, we took a kid, a group of kids to junior camp one year, and this mother came up to me on Sunday morning. She said, I don't know what you guys did, but I want to tell you something. And usually when a parent corners you the Sunday after camp, Gary, something happened wrong at camp that week, okay? But she cornered me. She said, I want to thank you because... I don't know how it happened, but my kid's suitcase came back the same way that it was when he left. <laughs> Did you wash their clothes? And I said, just thank God for clean clothes. I didn't want to lie to them, but I didn't want to think that we let a kid be funky all week at camp, and their kid was funky all week at camp. So we did this mandatory thing starting that year and moving forward from junior camp 
uh, up to junior high camp, we just make them swim every day, right? If they're not going to get a shower, let's get some chlorine on their body at least so the room doesn't smell like that, right? Well, you know, leprosy, this skin disease that would eat away at your skin, it was really literally, literally rotting your flesh. And, and, and there would be an odor to that. And, and I don't want to be super gross this morning, but because uh, we're going to have some healthy hot dogs here from the church, but uh, it was kind of like this cheese, death, gross smell, okay? And when these guys were cleansed, they knew they were cleansed. They knew they were whole. They knew that Jesus had healed them. It was very obvious to them. And, and in verse number 15, uh, verse 14 at the end of that, it says, and as they went, they, they went away from Jesus, they went towards the priest. The Bible says they were cleansed. In verse 15 it says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, threw himself at Jesus' feet, and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Man, this is huge. This is a big, big deal. He was a Samaritan. Uh, the Bible doesn't say of the ten lepers that had leprosy that nine were Jews and one was a Samaritan. But for some reason... Dr. Luke was told by the Holy Spirit to emphasize the fact that the one guy that came back was a Samaritan because the Samaritans were the sworn enemy of the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Racism was alive and well back in Bible times, okay? It was real. And for this Samaritan to come back by himself to this Jewish teacher to thank this Jewish teacher when he made there was a lot of cultural boundaries that were crossed over because you just didn't do that. You didn't go up to a Jewish guy by yourself and have a conversation with him. You didn't go up to a, perhaps it would be perceived as a teacher or even a spiritual leader of the Jews either if you were a Samaritan. But he broke cultural boundaries, went right to Jesus, fell at his feet, thanked him. The Bible says he praised God and praised God loudly. He made sure everybody heard that he was grateful for what Jesus had done in his life that day. And then the Bible says this, that Jesus' response in verse 17 was, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has, has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Right? So this foreigner was the Samaritan. Maybe the other nine guys were Jews and they were just all together because what they had in common, it was kind of a... It was kind of a uh, dysfunctional community because this community of 10 were people that were very sick and had leprosy. And that's what they shared in common. And Jesus made a point to say, the only one that came back to thank me was this foreigner. And then he looked at him in verse number 19. He said, rise and go. Your faith is what's made you whole. And I'm going to ask you a question as we start off uh, this, this uh, idea this morning of thinking about gratefulness, this lost virtue of being grateful. Do you remember when? Now, when you say, do you remember when, you really mark yourself as old. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember my dad used to say, oh, back in my day, I was talking to somebody this week, and I, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, I think Gary was part of the conversation. But I remember as a kid, and those of you that are old-timers, you're going to mark yourself, because if this is true about you, you're an old-timer, I don't hate to say that. Remember when milk was delivered to your house. Does anybody remember when milk was delivered to your house? Let's welcome all our old people to church today. And I'm not saying that disrespectful, because I remember when milk was delivered. I was very, very young, right? But it was a long time ago, and I remember the milkman used to come to our house 
and deliver milk. And I remember that old joke about one of the kids looked like the milkman, but that's not really something we want to talk about today, so that's kind of a weird thing. But I remember the milkman used to come in his little metal thing, crate, or whatever it was, and six bottles of milk would be delivered to the house, and we had to get there pretty quick in the summer to get that milk in the house, because if we didn't get it put in the freezer or in the refrigerator, we didn't call it an icebox, I'm not that old, okay? But we would put it in the refrigerator, get in there pretty quick. I remember the stop when I was about six or seven years old, and, and boy, man, you look back on that. But that was a time when, when there was kind of a catechism that parents had with their kids, when kids would address adults. You remember that time? For instance, do you remember the time when your parents made you say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to adults? Right? Some of you do, some of you don't. Do you remember when your parents would say this little phrase, right? What do you say? Right? It's not what do you say, it's what do you, what do you say, right? And if you were asking for something, right, what would you say? If someone did some kind of gesture of kindness to you and you said nothing and your parents heard silence and they looked at you and said, what do you say? What would you say? Thank you, right? Gratefulness. And it was kind of instilled in us. And, and you know, it's amazing. Uh, I, I want to tell you, uh, young people, something. Adults notice grateful students. Because they're few and far between. I'm not saying anything bad about any kids in our church or students in our ministry or anything like that. But the truth of the matter is the youth culture today is not known by the level of gratefulness that they have. But frankly, it's because they don't have the greatest examples. That was a quiet amen. Okay? That was a quiet amen. But gratefulness is just something that's just kind of this lost thing. You, and here's, here's how you know it's lost. You notice when people are very grateful. You notice when people... Notice a kind gesture, or go over the top in their thank you, uh, or go over the top by sending a thank you card, or just communicate to you some level of gratefulness for your investment in their life, whatever that, whatever that level of that investment, even just a tiny, tiny gesture, or a grandiose kind of a big gesture that you would, you know, pour into somebody's life, you notice when people are grateful, because I'm going to tell you something, you also notice when people are not. Man, I didn't even say thank you. Did you ever send a wedding gift, right, and not get a thank you note? And you go to the mailbox every day, I cannot believe they didn't send me a thank you note. They can't even acknowledge that I sent them $10 for getting married, you know, or whatever you sent them, you know. But gratefulness, you know, Jesus notices because he said, you know, you just think about this, there was 10 people. And these 10 people all had the same disease. And when Jesus healed the 10 people, Nine of them just, they were gone. But one came back and was, and was very demonstrative in his response. Very, and really, he was actually very emotional in his response. Because the Bible says he fell at Jesus' feet. Now, when we read that, you know, we say, okay, ten guys, nine guys walked away. One came back. He was loud. You, you, you know, you think about this. These ten people were in a crowd, right? So I'm going to ask our students to kind of help me out a little bit this morning, okay? So I'm going to get... If I point to you, stand up. I'm not going to make any adults do this. Okay, one, could you stand up? Two, three, I know. Four, five, six, seven, eight, I know. Nine, and ten. This young man was at Spanish camp this week, and he's got a Spanish camp t-shirt on! You're going to be the good example of a good leper. Okay? You're going to be the guy that's grateful this morning, okay?
Okay? So, if you guys would, just for a second, just kind of go, ah! Now you nine sit down. This is the only guy that pretended to Jesus. Right? So the ten was noticeable, but do you think the one was noticed by a lot of people? You can sit down, give him a big hand. And, 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 and I, I think when, when Jesus is making this statement, man, only a foreigner and this one person, where are the other nine? And I want to ask you this question. I'm not saying this in a condescending tone, but please don't misunderstand this. But are you part of the 10% or are you part of the 90%? Right? Uh, are you grateful, you know, even just for the little things that are in your life? Are, are, are you grateful or, do you, or, or, or is your mindset that you carry throughout your day and throughout your life is, is ungrateful? Now, there are... There are some ungrateful mindsets. And listen, that all of us have at some level in our life. And we understand that. Um, ungrateful mindsets. We'll talk about those for a second. Un ungrateful mindset number one is, I want it now. I want it now. If you ever read the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, the very beginning of that story, Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. Now, he was asking for the share of the estate that his father built. That was going to be his inheritance. And he wanted it, that he didn't want to work for it. He didn't want to grow into it and earn it and deserve it. He wanted what he thought was his. Now, that speaks into entitlement. I want it now. Man, if you look at what, what debt is today, and the way people spend money today and, and, and the cars. I've got a neighbor across the street from my house who uh, works at a, at a pool company. He's a real nice guy. Been invited to church for a while. And uh, I think he's going to wind up coming soon. But anyway, we were talking yesterday. And some of his adult kids live with him. And I was just telling him that two of my adult kids had just moved out. You know, and, that we, and we were doing the chicken dance, celebrating up and down the streets about that. We were just joking about that together. But they always come back, and I understand that. Nick and Katie will be back this fall, and then Kim and I are going to take a three-week cruise. But, uh, no, we're not. But, you know, uh, we were talking about that, and he was. I, and I asked him, I said, hey, which, I, I couldn't tell if you were home today. There was four cars. He's got one of those driveways that have a little circle thing out in front of his house. I said, which one of those cars was yours? He said, they're not my cars. They're all the new cars. If you want to know what car I'm driving, I drive the grandma-looking car. He says, I sponsor everybody else to have a great life, and I've got the grandma-looking car. Now, don't take offense at that, because my wife's a grandma, too, so it's okay. But what he was saying is, they have it now, I don't need as much as they do. And man, is that not true about today's young culture. You can get it now, you can have it now, you don't have to wait, you don't have to save, you can just go get it, go get it, go get it, go get it. And, and there's this idea that you deserve everything you have because of who you are. Other people had it. And there's a mentality that parents have to be very careful of too. I don't want my kids to struggle as much as I did. Have you ever heard somebody say that? But if you look at the struggle that you went through, that would, those were some of the character building blocks of your life. And by making it easier on our students, sometimes we take away opportunities for them to grow like we did. There's a balance in that, right? And, and that's difficult. 
But this I want it now mentality means that we don't want to wait for things that we think we deserve. Well, I deserve that. I deserve the nicer this. I deserve the nicer that. Why can't I have that? And, and, and we wind up doing this thing that the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12. God's word says this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You know what the church of Corinth was doing? These believers were comparing themselves to other people saying, why can't we have what they have? It's not fair. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that even the wicked prosper. We can watch things on television where, where people have and people have and people have. One of my favorite basketball players when I was younger, well, the best basketball player in the history of NBA. I hate this argument, Coach, about LeBron and Michael Jordan. It's not an argument because the greatest player in the history of the National Basketball Association is Julius Irving, Dr. J. You guys are like, what does that mean? I know. It's just like three people got that, right? I love Dr. J. One of my other favorite ball players growing up was Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, if you know this or not, uh, right at the end of his career, uh, it was exposed by him that he had contracted the HIV virus and had he was HIV positive. And it was kind of a big thing because he played in the All-Star game and the other guys didn't want to get near him and AIDS was kind of still, you know, relatively unknown in our culture. It was known as the homosexual disease and all that kind of stuff. It, was, it is a sexually transmitted disease, we understand that. But people kind of freaked out by it, didn't want to get near him, big controversy. But you know what, you know what Magic Johnson said about himself? And, and this guy, he owns part of the Dodgers, is like the president of the Lakers, probably one of the richest athletes out of the NBA in the history of other than Michael Jordan himself. And this is what Magic Johnson says about himself. I would trade everything I have and all the money that I have to go back to those mistakes that I made and change that and be a poor man now that have to live with the things that I have to live with today, right? And, and we don't understand the cost and the consequences of some of our decisions today, but what we wind up doing is we look, at, we look at other people's lives that maybe aren't as good as us. We look at other people's lives that you don't think that they deserve the things that they have, and we look at our lives and we're trying to do good, right? We give, we go to church, I'm a good mom and I'm a good dad. I sacrifice for my kids. I do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I look at what they have and they have everything and it's not fair. You know what that is? That's an ungrateful spirit. We don't need to compare ourselves with anybody else. You know who we need to make our mark in our life and who we need to try to be like? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. If there are other people that have more than you, and listen, even the richest guy in the world knows there's another richest guy in the world, right? It's not what you have and what you don't have. It's understanding this idea of contentment. We teach, last week Kelsey said this at the end of our service, which she gave our, our, our we call our offering talk, and there's, there's a value system that we want to promote. We're talking to our church about giving, and it's three points. It's give first, save second, and live on the rest. And what's that have to do with? That has to do with contentment. Contentment, you know what the Bible says about contentment? But godliness with contentment is great gain. If you wanna gain something, right? We wanna gain riches, we wanna have, listen, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong 
with owning stuff. You have to be careful that your stuff doesn't own you. You know, you can be careful of that. I want it now. Here's another ungrateful mindset. Is I deserve more. <laughs> In the same story, the prodigal son, the son who doesn't even hardly get talked about. When you hear a message of the prodigal son, usually it's chapter 15 and it, and it stops at about verse 26 or 27. Because the older brother is the guy that stayed with his dad. The older brother is the guy that didn't go away and ask for his inheritance. The older brother went to work the day after his brother went off and started living crazy, crazy lifestyle. The older brother did what he was supposed to do. And this is what the older brother said to his father when his brother came home. He, was, he came home. He, he spent all his money on alcohol and on prostitutes and, and on crazy living. And he is busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. That's a good one right there. Write that one down. <laughs> busted, disgusted, can't be trusted. Here's his response to his dad when he saw his brother being celebrated. He looked at his father and he said, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. When we do that comparing thing, right? I deserve more. Did it ever frustrate you when somebody that you saw was just living a junkyard dog, unethical, immoral, crazy lifestyle with no boundaries, seemed happier or had more stuff than you. That's hard, isn't it? Because we have this thing that we can, and we all know our enemies, the Bible talks about our enemies, and we're very aware of some of our enemies. Some of our enemies are Satan. If I were to tell you that Satan's one of your enemies, you go, oh yeah, we know Satan's one of our enemies, no doubt. Another one of our enemies, the Bible describes as the world system. The world is our enemy. The world is against Judeo-Christian values, Judeo-Christian ethics. We understand that. I'm going to tell you another one of your enemies, and it's probably the hardest enemy that you and I fight against every day, and that's ourselves. Ourselves. Paul described it as this way, as kind of a dog chasing his tail. He said, I don't want to do the things that I'm supposed to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. You say, what is that supposed to mean? There's just some things that I don't want to do every single day that I have to do. I'll give you some of those. I don't want to wake up every morning early. Amen. We heard a story, Garris tell us a story about one of his friends that did something in his bedroom that the, 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 the light doesn't come in his bedroom anymore, right? What is that called? Blackout curtains. You ever hear blackout curtains? I never heard of blackout curtains. And he was telling me that his buddy went to bed and didn't get up the next day until four o'clock in the morning, or four o'clock in the afternoon because no light. Four o'clock in the afternoon. That means they, let's say they, they, let's say they saw the Jimmy Fallon show, The Tonight Show, and then they saw the weird show, Seth Meyers, after that. And then they even got 10 minutes of Carson Daly and went to bed at 1.30 in the morning. Let's say they went to bed at 1.30. Four o'clock in the afternoon. How many of them, this little poll, how many of you can sleep that long, Richard, hand up in the air? God love you guys. I'm gonna tell you something. I couldn't. My, could you do, could you sit that long, honey? Helen, can you can sit that long? Wow, I'm impressed by that. Usually, ladies over 30 can't do that. I kind of put you in that range anyway. Four o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't even imagine that. But there's this, this idea of this entitlement thing. Now, listen. When you have this attitude of I want more, 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 
right? When you have this attitude, I deserve more. I work hard, I do what I'm supposed to do, I live my life right, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Then we start to sing this solo called me, 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 me. And when you are the center of your life, guess what you're not? Grateful. Grateful. And listen, gratefulness doesn't have to be on the humongous, bigger than life events that happen in your life. Like the big, big, gigantor events, you know, that, that have buying a house, right? I'm really grateful because we have a house. Or I'm really, really grateful because my, my baby was born. Or I'm really, really grateful because my grandkids. Man, we had such a great day with our grandkids yesterday. My goodness, we had a lot of fun with them yesterday. We loved it when they came in. We loved it when they were hanging out with us. And we loved it when they got tired and went home. It was a perfect day. It was awesome. And it's easy to be grateful for big things like that. You know, if you ever take a trip, oh, I'm so, so glad that we got to go to this great vacation, or this destination, or do this thing, or drive this car. And we kind of make our gratefulness based on this level. Well, this is the normal day stuff, right? But it's the big stuff that I'm grateful. If you have an attitude of gratitude in your life, you're thankful for little things too. For today. For a this is going to sound silly, but for, for a cushioned chair that, that, that we can come to church and sit on. Uh, when we were in the Philippines uh, as missionaries, the church chairs that we had in the Filipino people were very, very small. And a heavy Filipino guy would weigh about 140 pounds. So we had these plastic chairs that, uh, that we would buy for our church. And, they, and, and just looking at them, you, uh, when I would look at those chairs, I knew if I sat in one of those chairs, something bad was going to happen. And sure enough, I, we were in church one day, and I, and I, and I was like, oh, you know what, this chair's got to hold me up. So I went up, front row, second Sunday we were in, in Manila, and I, and I went down, and I kind of kept about 80% of my weight, like in my legs. I kind of did one of those squatty things, like my butt was like barely hitting the chair. Good exercise on your thighs, and I got tired, and I let some of it go, and that chair went, and I hit ground. And all 200 people that were in church thought it was a comedy routine, and they were laughing. My wife was embarrassed. It was just, it was an awful thing. So you know what? I'm thankful for chairs that are comfortable like this. Sat in some uncomfortable chairs. I'm thankful for chairs that hold over 200 pounds. Nobody say amen to that because then you're marking yourself. But I am. Because there's a lot of chairs not made for big people. They just are. You know? Uh, it's almost like they have a scale. No, no, no. You know, they come out on the underneath of you. Are you thankful for a chair you're sitting in? Are you thankful for your shoes? Yeah. You know? Just the shoes that you have on your feet. Are you thankful for your pants, guys? I used to say, way, way, way back a hundred years ago when I was a youth pastor, are you thankful that you just had pants that don't have holes in them? But holes are cool in pants now. <laughs> right? The phrase and, and, and all that stuff. I bought them that way. Really? Just get your pair of Levi's, get a razor blade, slice them up and save $100. What's the big... I don't get that, but... But and it, it's, it, it's these things that we take advantage of. Now. Are you thankful for a refrigerator in your house? Are you thankful that there's enough food, listen, to do a couple days' worth of food in your house today? Are you thankful that your air conditioner in your house is Lord willingly working right now? Right? Are you thankful for the car that drove you to church today? Are, are you thankful for the job that you're going to be able to go to tomorrow to work and provide? 
for your family? Because are you thankful you retired this morning if you retired, right? You know, all those things that I mentioned to you make you in the top, you ready for this? 5% of the richest people in the world. 5%. You are in the 5% of the richest people in the world, but we still do what we complain. I need, I want, I need, I want. So how can we develop this attitude of gratitude? Are you ungrateful? Are you ungrateful material or financially? Are, 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 are you just not satisfied with what you have? And maybe that's true about relationally too. Well, I, you know, I'm not married yet. Or I'm not, I, I don't have a significant other in my life. Or I don't have good friends. I don't have good neighbors. Maybe you're not satisfied with the amount of relationships that are in your life right now. Maybe you're ungrateful circumstantially. Why does that happen to them and it doesn't happen to me? How come that stuff isn't happening in my life? So how can I develop an attitude of gratitude? Here's the first thing. And there's only two, so don't get worried. Um, do you ever sit in a church service and the pastor said, I'm going to show you 13 things today on how you can be more like Jesus. And you look at the clock and you say, okay, there's 30 minutes left. You've got two and a half minutes on every point, I dare you, right? I've got two points and we're going to have baptism and hot dogs, so we're almost done, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Develop an attitude of gratitude. Real simple is this, two things. Number one, decide to turn your blessings into a praise. Turn your blessings into a praise, yours and others. Listen, if somebody else in your life has got great things happening in your life, thank God for them. Thank God that, that God's blessing them. Uh, I've got a brother that lives in Houston, Texas. He's been very blessed financially. And, and, and I, I've watched him. I've watched him struggle when he was in college. I've watched him young when he was kind of getting, you know, getting things together. Man, I just watched. And, and now he's, you know, you're younger than me. He's 50 years old. And God has just blessed him. You know what? And, and he's my younger brother. You say, doesn't that bother you that your younger brother has less money than you? No. He helped take him to the Super Bowl this year. It worked out really, really good. Okay? But the point is, I said, you can celebrate that or you can get jealous about it. Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. Decide to turn blessings into a praise. Listen to what the Word of God says in Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. This is the Apostle Paul. Because I've learned to be, this is a huge character word. If you can have it in your life, you can set yourself apart from just about everybody. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. My youngest daughter, Emily, is one of those kids that uh, she wants to know what's happening next. What's next? What are we doing? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? What are we doing tomorrow? We would be in Disney World, and we would be on Space Mountain Roller Coaster, and it would be going up, click, 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 right, getting ready to go to the top, with the big drop, the big fun, the big this, the big that, this great experience on a roller coaster, and Emily, this is gonna be great. What? She'd say this, Dad, let's try to be right next. Her mind would instantly be going to the next thing and not enjoying what was happening in the moment, right? And sometimes we're like that with our life, and that's called not being content. Paul said, be content no matter what circumstances you are in your life. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And then he said this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We use that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's kind of a Christian anthem, and they're like, go and fight the good battle and go get him. Paul uses it as his point of contentment in his life. I can be content because God gives me strength to be content. Listen to Ecclesiastes, it says, better what the eye sees 
than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The, the author was saying this, King Solomon, why are you so focused on what everybody else has? Why don't you just be happy with what you have in your own life? Right? Proverbs 15, verse 15 and 16, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful, cheer, cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little, a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Did you ever know somebody that didn't have a whole lot, but they just had this joy? This, this joy. Maybe they had the biggest house, nicest car, most money in the bank, nicest clothes, biggest amount of stuff, but they just were joyful. And then, then on, what's the counterpart to that? Did you ever know somebody had a whole bunch of stuff and was just miserable, right? So decide to turn your blessings into praise. Here's number two. Don't just feel it. Express gratitude. Express it. Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil chasing after the wind. James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift comes from above. You know every good thing in your life, every good thing in your life, every good thing in your life. I want you right now to think in your mind one good thing in your life. If you're going through a tough time, maybe you have to sift through some junk a little bit. But I want you to identify one good thing in your life today. You ready for this? That one good thing that you were able to identify comes from God. That one good thing. And you probably have way, way more than that if you were honest with yourself. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He doesn't change the way he feels about us. He doesn't get mad at us. You know, God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. And God just doesn't want you to feel gratitude, right? I was saying last week about feelings. I'm not going to sing again for another month. My wife made me promise not to. But sometimes we base what we do and what we say on our feelings. I feel hot, therefore I need to complain about it. I feel cold, therefore I need to complain about it. I feel like I want more, I feel hungry, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. And we base all of our expression and all of our external emotions on our feelings instead of on truth, right? Paul said, when I'm hungry and I feel hungry, I can still be thankful to the Lord. When I feel like things are going tough, I can still be thankful to the Lord. Be thankful, don't just feel it, express gratitude. Who is somebody in your life today that you need to say thank you to? Think about that. Is it your mom? Hopefully your dad, and if not, you know, Liz talked about when she prayed this morning. Maybe not everybody has a good father, but you have a great father in our Heavenly Father who loves you just the way that you are. You don't have to do anything to earn more of that love. He loves you just like you are. And if, and if there's some changes happening in your life, if he wants to groom you and grow you, it's because he loves you too much to leave you the way that he found you. But maybe... This morning, you can find someone that you can express some gratitude to. So here's, what's your take, here's our takeaway this morning. The first thing is this. Send a thank you note to somebody today. Send a thank you note. Just think of somebody in your life you can send a thank you note to. You know? Um, got a good friend up here. You can see her from a mile away with that yellow shirt on. Miss Tammy. Tammy is the card-writing queen of the universe. I think she's been sponsored by Hallmark. I'm pretty sure she has. Uh, but Tammy's really good about it. And, and, and you know what? She has sent me over the past three years strategically timed thank you cards where you don't even know how much they meant to me and my family. Just a thank you, you know? Maybe somebody would be shocked 
You know, for you to, and listen, the thank you card doesn't, listen guys, let me say something to you. You guys, you're going, dude, you think I'm gonna send somebody a thank you card this week? Listen, a thank you card doesn't mean you have to like do a poem or just write about emotional stuff. I was sitting in my room and I saw this picture, it's maybe emotional, I was crying. That's not a guy thank you card, okay? Not expected. But a good guy thank you card could be the effort of the folded piece of paper inside of an envelope with a, it's not 33 cents, what is it, 49 cents of the stamp today? Or just take it to their house, or slip it in there. Maybe just a little stick-it note that says thank you, but just some way to say thank you. That meant a lot to me. Thank you for who you are in my life. Thank you for uh, the example that you set for me. Thank you for being a good friend. Guys, you can send a thank you card that's not sappy and girly, is what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Thank you for being the only guy that said amen. Yeah, I appreciate that. Right? But we can do that, guys. Maybe you can express some gratitude because you know what happens when you're thankful for who God's placed in your life and who you're being thankful to? You're being thankful to God. Send a thank you note to somebody. Here's the last thing we'll pray. Write down, take a couple minutes, either on your computer today or on a little scratch piece of paper. And instead of just, you know, when we pray, the Bible gives us what, you know, how we should pray, and this, this, this model of like an outline of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Acts model of prayer, which means we adore, confess, express thanksgiving, and then supplication, which means we ask for, we ask last, is what the Bible teaches us about prayer. But you know what would be a great exercise for you to do this week with the Lord? Take about five minutes, ten minutes, longer than that if you need to, and write out a prayer. My dear friend Johnny was telling me last year, a couple years ago, he wrote down all this stuff he wants his kids to know about him. This big, this, I don't even remember, what did you call it, Johnny? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Father's legacy. Father's legacy. He wrote down, man, all kind of stuff about his life and his past, his wife, his marriage, his inner thoughts. Super unguy-like, but he has daughters, so he's kind of become part of his natural environment like I have. But just take a couple minutes, right? And start writing down some things. And it doesn't have to be super sappy. Listen, an English teacher's not going to check your spelling, which is really, really cool. But you can just write it super simple. Dear God, thank you for colon, and then just list them out with little hash marks. Thank you for today. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids who all know Jesus as their Savior and are serving me today. Thank you for my church that you let me be a part of. Thank you for the roof over our head, the refrigerator with food, the cars that still work, the health that's in check, the friends in our lives, the people we get to do life with. And you know what you'll find as you start listing those things off? The list, it's like the song that never ends. You know that song, don't you? This is the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friends. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was, but we continue singing it forever just because, because it's a song that, right? That's what your gratefulness prayer may look like because you can keep thanking God for so many things. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Listen, be part of the 10%, not part of the 90. Learn how to thank Him today. If you have something you're thankful for this morning, say amen. amen. If you have something you're thankful for and God can't hear you because we didn't say it loud enough, say amen. amen.